Jerry read to us from, I don't understand that, from Hebrews 11, uh, but we're going to, well, so keep your mark there in Hebrews 11, but we're going to operate a lot from the Genesis account of the story of Abraham, or Abram, and as I go through this, sometimes I'll say Abram, and sometimes I'll say Abraham, we'll just call it interchangeable, even though we know that, that God blessed Abram with the breath of God that changed his, his name, but it's, a, it's the same fellow that God is working with, and, and Abram's, Abram or Abraham's testimony is just the same as mine or anybody else that has come to know the Lord as Savior. Ruined by the fall, redeemed by the blood, and regenerated by the Spirit. That was the testimony of C.T. Studd. That's our testimony as well. Now, as we get into this, we, uh, we realize that, that where the story of, of Abram comes in is, not where that mark is, is following what came before him. You know, that kind of goes without saying. But... But if we, if we consider the first part of, of the Bible, the, the, books, uh, the book of Genesis and the chapters, you've got the first couple of chapters there. God is, is creating the world and fellowshipping with man. They're walking with him in the cool of the eve and having fellowship with him. He's given them one command uh, to, be, to be careful about, and they chose against him. And so beginning in chapter 3 of, of Genesis, you have uh, man and woman disobeying God, and so the the consequences of that. Then you have Cain, their, one of their sons, killing another, their other son in chapter 4. And then in, in chapter 6 through 8, last week we looked at the, at the flood because man, humanity, had gotten so corrupt and so violent and so disobedient that God just decided to clean it all up by, by uh, wiping out all but eight souls. And then Noah, one of the heroes of that little story, in, uh, in the next chapter, chapter 9, winds up getting drunk and exposing himself to one of his sons. And then, following that, chapter 10, you've got Noah's descendants uh, getting together, and they're going to build a tower in an attempt to reach to God. They said, let's build it up to heaven. And so God confuses their language so that uh, to keep them in their place. And, and so all those things, you say, well, we could have done better than that. Well, according to Romans 1, no, we wouldn't. We haven't. You can read the account of or in the God's estimation of man in, in Romans 1, 18 through 32, and all the things that, that man has chosen instead of God and in rebellion to God. So God, again, as was in the case of Noah, God calls a man to himself. Uh, he called a man named Abram, and he actually, if you consider, he called Abram and his wife Sarai to himself. And, uh, and so we're going to be using Acts, uh, the book of Acts, chapter 7, and some other places, as well as this account here in Genesis chapter 12. And going from there. So just get ready. Get ready for Bible drill. You know, have you some pieces of paper. You can tear little pieces of the, of the bulletin off and use them. Just not, not, the, not the outline. No, no. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have some 
have some wonderful news here to look at, and we are blessed by the by the news that you love us so much that you choose people to bring into your kingdom, and you choose people to bring into your kingdom and into a relationship with you that have an influence on us down through the millennia. And so, Father, as we continue, uh, we want to be true to your word. We want to hear from you. We want to to be built up, to be more like Jesus. We want to have more to praise you about. We want to see Jesus lifted up as the way to come into a relationship with you because there is none other. So speak. Speak to us from your word through this preacher, and we pray for your glory, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Genesis 11, let's go back there to kind of kind of bring us up to date. We already have mentioned the Tower of Babel, but... But in the, in the account in, in Genesis chapter 11, let me, let me just read this. Now the whole earth, whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let's make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen or what, what's it? Slime is the King James word, I think, for martyr. And they said, come, let's build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let's make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Now, I'd submit to you that they're not only worried about being dispersed over the whole earth, they're worried about another flood and being dispersed from the earth, okay, wiped out. So, so what's, what, has, what is going on here? is they say, look, God may try to scatter us. God may try to wipe us out because we hate God anyway. And so let's, uh, let's outsmart him. So what they have here is they're going to engineer their own security against God. Because back in 6 through 8, God brought a flood and wiped out all the meanness that was prevalent in the world. And the men who hated him and the women and the children who had turned against him. So they're going to outsmart him. Even though God has given them a promise in the ninth chapter of the rainbow in verse 11. He says, I established my, this is in Genesis chapter 9 verse 11. I established my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you, every living creature that's with you for all future generations, I have set my bow in the clouds that it may be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. So God's given them that promise there, but they don't trust God. And so they're going to come up with their own insurance plan, and it's everyday low, low price, all they, because they've got this, this material to make brick, for stones that they'll use as stones. And what they have here, I'm, I'm guessing this might be, this might have happened in Canada because, <laughs> here's why, here's why. Because what they were going to use for mortar was oil sand, really. You may have, it, this translation says bitumen, another translation is altar, but it's oil sand is what it amounts to. And we know the largest deposit of oil sand in the world is in Canada, so it's Quite possible, not probable, but <laughs> it's not that far from, in South Texas, 
I have guessed that it's quite possible that the ark landed there because there are some varmints there that are nowhere else in the world. And that must have been where they disembarked from the ark. But anyway, that, that's all kind of beside the point. The deal is, wherever it was, they decided to build a tower. And they said that we're going to build a tower that reaches up to heaven, up to where God is. And so, so it's, it's not because they loved God and wanted to be near him. It's because they wanted to outsmart God. And they were either, it's possible that they were going to build a, a structure that would be taller than floodwaters. Or it's possible they were going to build a structure that would be tall enough that they could keep track of, of astrological goings on and get some, some kind of warning about what God may be going to do. But that whatever they want to know what God's going to do, they want to get near God, not so that they can have a relationship with him, because they hate him. Well, probably nobody would go walk around saying, I, I hate God, but they do just like people do today who wouldn't say, I hate God. Matter of fact, they might say, well, I, I like God. I just don't like Jesus or I just don't like the church or, or whatever. But, but Romans chapter 5 says that while we were yet sinning, God sent his son. He showed his love by sending his son while we were yet sinners and, and while we were enemies of God in Romans 5.10. So they, like today... Many today were enemies of God. And they thought they could get beyond the reach of God or at least be able to look at the stars and get a little early warning. And they planned to stick together in this effort. So you see, the, the whole, the, everybody that's talking about here are people who have this attitude. We want to stick together against God is what it amounts to. So, you've got that, that background. So, we go on down to the end of chapter 11, down to verse 31. Genesis eleven thirty-one, 31. And there we see, Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, who was his brother, his, uh, his grandson, and Sarai, his, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of Chaldees and to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205, and Terah died in Haran. Now, that sounds like that was Terah's idea, but you can just leap over to, to chapter 15. And if you look at chapter 15, verse 7, this is still in Genesis. God is speaking and he says, I am the Lord who brought you, he's speaking to Abram, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of Chaldees to give you this land. Terah might have thought it was his idea. Abram might have thought it was Terah's idea, but it was God's idea. God saw Abram when he was in Ur of Chaldees, and God brought him out, and God had a plan for him. And you can see that in Acts chapter 7. You can see that in Joshua chapter 24. If you're looking at your notes, you've got those things, and we'll, we'll zip on past that, and you can check those things out later. But Abram, for sure, we know this. Abram was not looking for God. Because Abram was part of the, the culture of Mesopotamia, 
or the Chaldeans, and he was worshiping the gods of that area instead of the true God. He wasn't looking for God. He wasn't leafing through ancient manuscripts and scriptures and testimonies about the actions of God, the creation of God. He was just going with the flow like we do, and he was worshiping the God of the area as far as we know, and God interrupted his life. Matter of fact, let's look over to, to Joshua chapter 24. To the right of where we are. Joshua 24, verse 2. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Cana and made his offspring many, and I gave him Isaac. So it wasn't that Abraham was such a righteous person that God said, I, I pick him. Because he's not worshiping other gods. He was, according to the scripture. False gods. God does the calling. God has always done the calling and the choosing. We're going to need Acts 7, so you might as well flip on over there. And we'll put a mark there. Stephen is testifying. Verse 2, Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. And he said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I'll show you. God chose him. God appeared to him. God called him. God does the choosing in John chapter 15, Jesus said to his disciples, verse 16, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. I chose you. You didn't choose me. Now, these were good guys. These were good Jews for the most part, and they had followed Jesus, but Jesus said, You didn't come up with the idea. I chose you because I'm God. God does the choosing. God did the choosing. God found Abraham. I can tell you that when, when I was shown the way of the Lord, when I was directed to, that, I, that I needed to pray and, and accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and, and those words, we'll, we'll just let them go at face value for now. It wasn't because I was looking for God. It's because I, as, as a young person, thought I had God because I was better than a lot of folks around me. I was 11 years old, and so I, I wasn't chasing women or robbing banks or anything, but I was just bad enough to squeeze into hell. And God found me, and God had someone say to me, okay, you're a pretty good little boy, but you need Jesus. God found me. I, I was in Sunday school when I got, I got called out of Sunday school. I had to go to the preacher's office. 
that's as bad as going to the principal's office in my mind. I certainly didn't volunteer for that. But somebody loved me enough to set up that appointment with a preacher and with God. God loved me enough to set up that appointment with a preacher and with God. And so Abram was like that, and I was like Abram, and that God found me, and he chose me. Now, how did God call Abram or Abraham? Well, what did it say there in, in Acts? Shoot, I let it get away. It says, when Abraham was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran, I said to him, somehow he said to him, he called him, he appeared to him, some of the translations say. He called him. God appeared to him. Now, I don't know how God appeared to him. But throughout the, the, the account of Abraham in Genesis, it has seven times that God appears to him and speaks to him. And what God did is he revealed his glory. So you look at, back at, at, at 7-2 again. Brothers and sisters, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham. So what did he do? Whatever he did revealed his glory to Abraham. Now, Abraham had been worshiping idols, foreign gods, but God loved him enough to show him a glimpse of his glory. And having seen the glorious true God, idols just don't measure up anymore. Now, that is a miracle of God. That's a change in a heart that only God can do by revealing his glory to someone so that the things that were once so lovely to them and so attractive to them are no longer attractive and nothing will satisfy except the true God. That's what he did. He revealed his glory. He showed the weakness and the foolishness of worshiping idols. In 2 Corinthians 4, he says that he shines into the hearts of those who come to know him to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He's still in the calling. He's still in the appearing business by working in our hearts. Everybody doesn't have this, this Saul on the road to Damascus kind of experience where a bright light knocks us off of our donkey. But anybody who comes to God comes to God because he has shined his light to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ to whomever comes to him. Amen? Or the other option is you were so smart that you just found him. Oh, you had it all over Abraham. Because you were looking, you were studying. You, you, your mama prayed for you. Your grandmama prayed for you. Well, those are all good things. But God is the one who came and showed himself to you and, and made you want him. I don't, I don't say that to take anything away from you, but I say that to, to give glory to God who will find us when we're not looking for him and reveal himself to us. God spoke or had spoken to Abraham back in, in Genesis 12. 
Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I'll show you. He spoke to Abram. Well, that makes sense because all this book fits together and we can leap back over to, to Romans chapter 10 and verse 17 where it says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So God used his word. He spoke to Abraham. He didn't, Abraham didn't have the book of Romans to go to. And so God spoke it into his heart. Maybe he heard it with his ear. Maybe he just heard it in his, in his heart. But God spoke to him because the word of God brings faith. And God gave him his word. And Abraham obeyed, and his obedience was miraculous. And I say it's miraculous because he wasn't looking for God. He wasn't listening for the voice of God. But God interrupted him, and Hebrews 11, 8, that Jerry read for us, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out. That faith was a miracle of God. We're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. But that faith, even that faith, is a gift of God. And so if you came to, to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it happened because God loved you so much that he provided the payment for your sin. And he loved you so much that he sought you out and he spoke to your heart and he gave you the faith to respond to that. I like the story of Abraham. I used to didn't like Abraham all that much because we talk about him as being the father of faith and as we're going to go through this story, we're going to find out he did some knuckle-headed stuff that was not trusting God. Uh, you know, the, Abraham's faith is like Job's patience. Job doesn't strike me as all that patient either when he wants to talk back to God and all the people who said, he's saying, God sees your sin. I don't have any sin. God got the wrong address. That's Job, the message of Job for a long time. But God's calling Abram and counting him as righteous because of his faith. That's a good story. I like that. Another reason I like it because it's true. So why? So, so we know that, that God called him. He called him by revealing his glory to him some way. And, and the scripture says that he spoke to him. And why would he call Abram? Like I say, we're going to learn some things about Abraham that, that say sometimes God doesn't make good choices. But he he called him because he called him to bless because he wanted to bless him. So back in, in Genesis 12, he says, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I'm going to make you something you are not. I'm going to make you a new creation in effect. And I will bless you. God called Abram and Sarah because he wanted to save them. He wanted to bless them personally. 
for whatever else God has accomplished in your life when he called you to himself, he did it because he loved you and, has, and, and he just wants to bless you. He wants to bring you into the kingdom. He also called them to bless the world. He says, I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I'm going to keep reading. And I'll bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in all of the families of the earth, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God called and blessed Abraham because he wanted to bless Abraham and Sarah. And also because he wanted to bless the whole world. As we look back at this, we see what a great God we have. We see what God can do with someone who's not even looking for him. We're going to see how God builds his faith and brings him to the point where he would sacrifice his own son, his only son, at the command of the Lord, trusting that God could raise him again from the dead, according to Hebrews. Now, that's a leap from worshiping idols to sacrificing your son because God tells you to and says it's going to be all right. So he wants to bless the whole world and he wants to give an example of walking by faith. When I go over the story of Abraham again, I am encouraged because his knuckleheadedness is not anything compared to mine. And I can see that God brought him to the point that he would give everything that he has at the command of God for the love of God because he trusted God. So God called him, appeared to him, spoke to him, and God covenanted with him. The Lord made a covenant with Abraham that he's going to bless him. You see, salvation is not... Abram making a promise to God. It's not me deciding one day, well, I'm going to turn over a new leaf and I'm going to follow Jesus. It's not me making a promise to God. It is God making a promise to me. It's God making a promise to Abraham or Abram at this point. Because Abram was like us And he wouldn't know how to make a good covenant. He didn't have anything to offer. If he did have something to offer, he wouldn't know how to present it to God. There are some people who think that they can maintain their own salvation. You know the problem with that? You think that? I'm going to say you're not smart enough to maintain your own salvation. Because sometimes I sin intentionally. Sometimes I sin unintentionally. But sin is sin. You can look back at the Old Testament and there were sacrifices and there were provisions for those who, who are for, for intentional sin and there were some for unintentional sin because we unintentionally do not measure up to the holiness of God even after our salvation. And so I would submit to you that if God's not going to keep you, you're not going to get kept because you cannot pull it off unless you happen to be God. A covenant, the covenant of God is is God giving to Abram, not Abram giving to God. Salvation is always God's promise to man. 
I will make, I will bless, I will bless those who bless you, I will bless the whole world. And he does it, you know what, he doesn't say, I will bless you because, he doesn't say, this is how I'm going to bless you. He says, I am God and I can do what I want to. And I am going to bless you and bless those. And I'm going to do it without giving you a reason. And I'm going to do it without giving you an explanation. He even says I'm going to do it. He doesn't give any conditions either. What kind of God is that? That's the one true God, y'all. That's a God who loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. So that whosoever believes in him should not perish. Not the ones who measure up, not the ones who have enough money or enough sense or enough good looks or enough talent, but the ones who believe. Anybody can do that. That God called. So salvation is God's promise to man. I'm going to bless. I'm going to make. I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to bless the whole world. Now, if, if, you, if you're looking at the notes, you will notice my fine alliteration. You've got man engineering security, God extending grace, and another good E, God exhibits Jesus. And you say, what? We're in Genesis. Ain't no Jesus in Genesis. Oh, but there is. And so we're going to turn over a few chapters because we know that all salvation comes through Jesus Christ. If Abraham's going to get saved, he's going to get saved by the blood of Jesus Christ because no one comes to the Father except through him. So we're going to look at... at Chapter 14. Now, what little background that's going on here is, is uh, Lot has gone off to Sodom, and Sodom has gotten invaded, and, and so Lot and his family are taken off, and Sodom is, and, and the king of Sodom is defeated, and so someone tells Abram, your, your nephew's been carried off, so Abram gets his people together. Abram's a rich guy. There's nothing wrong with being rich. Abram is powerful. There's nothing wrong with being powerful. Abram is those things. Enough that he could go up against several kings and whoop them. So, verse 17 of chapter 14. After he returned from the defeat of Chedorlaomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shavah. And there in the king's valley, and that is the king's valley, and Melchizedek, 17 just kind of tells you when it happened. Here's the important thing, verse, verse 18. And Melchizedek, who is Melchizedek? Well, Melchizedek's name means the king of righteousness. It also says, his name is Melchizedek, but he is described as the king of Salem. The word Salem is, is the same as Shalom. He is the king of peace. That give you a little hint? Because the one who meets Abraham or Abram is the king of righteousness and the king of peace. You can't have the peace without righteousness. And so God sends one who is the king, the manager of righteousness and the manager of peace. And that one brought out bread and wine. And he was also, watch this, you're looking at verse 18, chapter 14. 
He was also priest to the Most High God. He is king and priest. And he brought Abraham bread and wine. Well, I know another king who is a king of righteousness and a king of peace and priest, my high priest of the Most High God, who also shared with his church, with his body, bread and wine. So who is, well, and he blessed him. Let's just read on through here. And he blessed him and he said, Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. All right, figure out some more about that. Let's go back to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7, we have some information about Melchizedek. And beginning in verse 1, Hebrews 7, For this Melchizedek, the king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to Abraham, he apportioned, all right, to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth of everything. Of everything. He is first by translation of his name, king of righteousness. He's also king of Salem or the king of peace. He is, look at verse 3, Hebrews chapter 7. This Melchizedek, the king of righteousness, the king of Salem, or the king of peace, the, the priest of the Most High God, is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling or representing or appearing... As the Son of God. And he continues a priest forever. Now you can work on that some more. But who does that describe? Who is righteous, king of righteousness, the king of peace? Who is the high priest of the most high God? Who is the one who has not been created? Who is from the beginning of the days and has no end of life. He is the Alpha and the Omega. I submit to you that Melchizedek is what we call a theophany, an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ before he was born. And so what happened is God loved Abram so much that he sent Jesus, an appearance of Jesus to him, to give him bread and wine and to bless him. <laughs> king of righteousness, king of priests, with bread and wine for fellowship, to strengthen Abraham after his victory. Abraham has just gone out and whipped a bunch of kings. Now, he's a, he's a shepherd and a farmer, but he picked up his stuff and went and fought for his nephew, apparently at the direction of God, and God meets him and with bread and wine to strengthen him after his victory. Because it, it takes a little something out of you when you go up and whip a bunch of kings. And so God says, here, here I love you, Abraham. I'm sending, I'm, I'm coming myself in, in a form of, that, that's visible with a body. That's Jesus. And he gave him bread and wine to give him strength after his victory. 
and he blessed him. He says, verse 19, and he blessed him and he said, Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. He blessed him for the bread and wine, for fellowship and strength after the victory, the blessing for fellowship and strength because of Abram's victory. Now, now let me explain that. Not because Abraham had earned this or Abram had earned this, but because God wanted to make a special connection with Abraham, uh, maybe conjecture a little bit, because after a victory is when we need a special connection to God, because that's when we get cocky. That's when we get to thinking we can do it on our own. I am a whipper of kings. I do not need God this week. And so God blessed him. God fed him and watered him and blessed him. Back over in Hebrews it says, and the one who does the blessing is the greatest of the two between the blessed and the blesser. <laughs> the blesser is the greatest. Blessed by Abram. And blessed, blessed be Abram, and blessed be God of most, the Most High. He connects them. The notes I have blessed by it should be blessed be Abram. Blessed be Abram by God Most High. The greatest thing about this is not just that he gets to see Jesus in, in a body, not just because he gets to sit down and have a meal with Jesus. Those, those are pretty cool things. But he also connects. Because when you have a meal in the, in the Middle East, it is a connection thing. It is an honor thing. It is a fellowship thing. And so what God is doing is he is fellowshipping with Abram. He's blessing him. He's connecting him to himself. He needs strength against temptation that's going to come with victory. He needs a little pat on the back for going out of his way and, and, and using his stuff and his strength to accomplish God's purpose. And saving righteous Lot. We'll see that over in, in, in the New Testament too. Lot doesn't look all that righteous, but praise God, he has a different estimation than we do. And so, the next thing that happens, God meets him, God connects with him, God blesses him, and what does Abraham do? Abram worships. Abram worships. He worships Jesus. And how does he worship him? He worships him with a tithe. Verse 20, the latter part. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Some people say that we being the New Testament church are free from the law and therefore we don't have any use for, for the idea of a tithe, giving a tenth to God. I say to you, uh-uh. This is before the law. Abram didn't give God a tithe. He didn't worship God with his sustenance because it was commanded of him. He did it because he was in love with Jesus. And I want you to also notice this. If you read on down through here, you'll find out that Abraham didn't get any profit from whipping these kings. The king of Sodom says, you, you take your stuff and, 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 and I'll take the rest. And Abram said, I made a vow to God that I would not take anything, not a thread or a strap of a, of a sandal, 
it's all yours lest you say, I made Abram reach. I want everybody to know that God has made me what I am. That's how Abram intended live. In a way that says, God has made me this way. Sometimes I don't want to disgrace God by saying, God made me this way. But Abram's intent after encountering Jesus, I want to show off God by the way that I live, by who I So what did he give a tenth of? Everything. Gave a tenth of it all as a way it says, verse 24, he took nothing. I think it's in the, in, the, in the Hebrew account. He gave a tenth of it all. But here it says he didn't give a tenth of what he earned, but he gave a tenth of everything that he had. Everything. That's the way ESV has it. Now, that doesn't require us to give a tenth. That just sets an example for us. What does walking in faith look like? It means nothing is yours. It all belongs to God. He didn't do it to pay God off. He didn't do it to endear himself to God. He didn't do it because it was required by the law. He didn't do it because he had, had great income. He did it of all his assets, everything. Abraham accepted God's blessing through Jesus. And he rejected even the least of things that would detract him or detract from the glory of God. You got that? This is where we're going to land. He rejected even minute things like a thread or a strap of a sandal, anything that would say to the world, this is more important to Abram this is more important to anyone than the Lord God Almighty. Abraham said, I don't want anything that would detract from the glory of God. And he didn't do that so he would be saved. He did that because he had been saved. Now, some of us, most of us here have been saved. And I say to you, there's still a miracle out there for us that God wants to accomplish in us if we have not gotten to the point where we would say, anything that distracts from God, I refuse because I live for his glory. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the story of Abraham. We thank you because you say over and over through the Old Testament and the New Testament that he believed you and it was counted to him as righteousness. I pray for that work in us because we who have put our trust in you have met Jesus and he has blessed us and he has given us victory and, and he has blessed us so that the victory doesn't take us away from him. Father, I pray that you'd work in us so that we would guard against anything that would detract from 